Hello, I'm Anna, and you're listening to Fangirl Happy Hour for Tuesday, February 24, 2015. On today's show, we will start by discussing Carrie Memory, the new book from award-winning SFF author Elizabeth Baer. Then, brace yourselves as we fangirl all over Jupiter Ascending, the new awesome movie from the Wachowski siblings. Finally, we will be taking a look at the latest season of Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., which is arguably the most disappointing TV show of all times. With me today to talk about all these things is my fellow fangirl, Renee. Hi, Renee. Hey, Anna. How are you? I'm doing great. I'm excited. Good. I'm excited about bees. Is that, is that, is that because Jupiter is sending? Yes, bees. Yeah. Bees, okay. don't, bees. bees don't lie. Did I tell you that I have never been stung by a bee? Maybe you are a secret space princess. I always knew it's my destiny to rule the universe. Not only Earth, the entire universe. All these, all these like notions of empire building and world domination, that we know where it comes from now. Now we know. Yes, exactly. Me and the bees have always known. Uh, so tell me, you said you wanted to talk about couple of things before we started? Yes, I have three pieces of business. Uh, the first is a post by Heather Massey at the Galaxy Express, where she responds to an essay we talked about by Tansy Rayner Roberts called Sci-Fi Romance, Still So Invisible. It's, it's pretty good. You can check it out. We'll put it in our show notes. It's continuing a conversation we inserted ourselves into that I think is pretty important to have, and she puts a new perspective on it. The second thing is we got an email from a listener, Beth, who emailed us about our Captain Marvel segment. And I was like, I don't, I was really confused about the reboot. And I was like, I didn't know where the, the, there was two volumes and then it just sort of ended and it didn't, and then the reboot, the space reboot happened. But she told us that the, the story was completed in a trade called Avengers Enemy Within. Thank you, Beth, for correcting me that, that it didn't didn't just end. It actually had a, a resolution, and I, I, I actually immediately went and got that from my library. I haven't read it yet, but I have it. Because <laughs> more Carol, yay! The third thing is that one of the books on my most coveted 2015 list from our first episode, The Labyrinth of Flame by Courtney Shaver, the Kickstarter for that book has started. At this point, it's probably already funded because I looked it, at it. It the, is actually. It is it, already funded. Yes. That's amazing. I so, saw that on Twitter about, about half an hour ago, so it's already funded. But if you want a really cool like trade paperback or uh, ebook copy, you could totally go and support the Kickstarter. Maybe if she if she gets, maybe she'll have to do like some super cool. What do they call those? Yeah, no extras. No, it's not extras. Not awards. Whatever those are, the word that we can't think of right now. Yes. Please, listeners, get in touch and let us know. <laughs> please, please email us a link to a dictionary because we need it. So, yeah, I'm really excited about this book. I've wanted this book since I finished the second one. Uh, thanks a lot for nothing, Nightshade, <laughs> leaving me hanging like this. So I have to wait on a Kickstarter. But, no, I'm really happy that it's done so well. So if you're into Kickstarters or finishing this series, please check that out. Let's start. Elizabeth Baer is an award-winning author and Carrie memories her new book. Set in a steampunkish alternate 19th century America, it follows the adventures of Carrie Memory and a resourceful group of ladies who work at Madame Damable's Bordello as they fight to stop a Jack the Ripper-like string of murders. With a super diverse cast of characters and an incredibly distinct narrative voice, Carrie Memory has been getting a lot of attention and good reviews in the SFF fandom. Renee, 
what did you think of it? It was great. I actually haven't had that much fun with a steampunk book since I read Larklight by Philip Reeve. Oh, okay. It's been a long like steampunk's hard for me. I, I have a hard time with like histor like historical ish fiction and steampunk. I mean, obviously, it's doing that. It's pulling that historical aesthetic forward. I also looked at like Bone Taker, like by Sherry Priest, which was really good. But like, as just as far as like a fun, exciting romp, like Larklight was the last one that I just got really super into. And my reaction to that book is comparable to Karen and Marie. I just had so much fun with this book. It was so great. It was, right? It was really it was really fun, too. It took me a while to read it. Um, I had a little bit of problem with the narrative, the way that it was written, because obviously um, Karen Memory, um, the narrator who's writing the story, I'm not going to go, not going to dwell on that because that's a little bit spoilery. Like, for example, she's not, didn't know how to write properly in English. Uh, and uh, her writing came from, was still a very tentative uh, writing. She was still learning in a way. Um, and because English is not my mother tongue, as you can probably notice, so there were certain things that were difficult for me to read more fluently. So, for example, uh, there were things like, for example, she would re replace um, I would know I would have, and she would replace that with a wood off, which is really interesting because, uh, and going on a tangent, really, uh, it's really interesting because here in England, um, a lot of people are actually replacing that right now, would have with wood off. And that gave me pause. It's interesting, like, don't get me wrong, it's not a problem with the book, it's probably me because I'm... English not my mother tongue, so there was an element of disruption there for me, more even so than probably for you. Did you have a problem with that as well, or was it just me? No, because that's how I talk. <laughs> I don't uh, know how to I don't know. If you read her voice and my accent, that's how I talk. Uh, so I didn't have a problem with it at all. That's, I do that grammar stuff like the grammar stuff that people hate that where they're like where you use improper uses of verbs i do that all the time in my own writing actually when i write because i just because i write like i talk so sometimes i will just completely uh screw the pooch on the grammar because i'm just writing it how i speak so that's that's really interesting and it's true if you're if you're esl it's gonna be that's gonna be a, a barrier to entry there's a language barrier Because if you don't have in quote like quote unquote proper English, you, the word because when you learn a new language, you learn like the like the whatever the accepted current version yeah. is, which is like the white intellectual version of English, which is not the only kind of English. As we like, there's there's my there's like the English I use, and then there's like uh, A A V E. Uh, African American vernacular, which I'm also familiar with because all, like all of my friends use it. I can really see where you're coming from there and how you would have a, a problem getting into the book when you don't really know, yeah. when you don't always understand what she's saying. Exactly. So it was a little bit difficult for me to get into the book to start with. But once I, you know, got into the rhythm of what was happening and why, then it just, it was okay. Um, and that it became, it became really fun because the book in itself, um, it even, it even that part of, of, of Karen's um, history or Karen's story was actually really interesting as well. Um, another thing that I think I loved and uh, it's probably my favorite 
one of my favorite things about the book is the setting. Uh, not necessarily the steampunkish setting or the 19th century setting, but the place where most of the story is set, which is inside this bordello. And I love that the vast majority of the characters in the book are sex workers. Um, and I loved how, you know, this is a story that takes the the marginalized people of what of those that we have come to think is marginalized. And you have former slaves, you have um, sex workers, you have immigrants, uh, you have all, all of those people, and they are the main characters and heroes of this story. And I think this was pretty amazing. Also, what wasn't clear when, the, when I first read about this book was that the main romance in the book was not a heterosexual romance. No. I, I don't know how, I mean, maybe it was discussed. I would have read that, like, I would have gone to the publisher and, like, rammed down their door had I known this book had a queer romance in it. I completely agree with For, that. Like, I would have, like, God, I was like, I'd be like, give me a review copy or else. <laughs> instead, I, you know, instead I just, like, twiddled my thumbs and then the G eventually sent me a gift copy because he's awesome. But, like, if I had known, if I had, like, been, it been more clear that there was a queer romance in this book, I, I would have, I would have, yeah, I would have fought for it. <laughs> because that was probably my, one of my favorite parts. It just felt so, it was just so, it was, like, so romantic and interesting and compelling the way that Karen falls for the woman she falls for. It's, it was really great. I loved it as well. And I think another thing that I thought it was great in regards to that and also what I was saying about the setting is that even though this is a story set inside a bordello and it follows sex workers, there are no sex scenes between the sex workers and their Johns, right? There are yeah, no sex scenes. None at all. There are nothing about that. So if, if this book had been written by a male author, I would wager this would be full of sex scenes from a very male gaze perspective. I am being completely gen- generalistic here and just throwing it out there. So I, excuse me, I apologize for doing that, but that's that's what I would have expected. I don't. I don't apologize at all. <laughs> Okay, so uh, that's exactly what would happen, though. Like when you when men I, write about sex workers, they tend to you know ham fist it up. It's no good. And, no, and, and in this case, the work is yeah. not the work. It's just work. It's, it's just, just it's work. just their job, and they don't romanticize it. And it's not like they don't put like like rosy vaseline covered lens over it. It's no. It's just There's work. No- they are not victimized either, and, you know, like you said, it's just work. And then, therefore, the only scenes that could be even remotely construed as romantic or sexual are the ones between uh, Karen and Priya, her love interest. And they are really, like, a couple of kisses at most. So oh, but they were so was, good, Anna. They were so they were good. Really good. There's yeah. a moment in the book where... Uh, Priya kisses Karen's earlobe and Karen like she like flips out internally and I'm just like oh girl I know you I feel you <laughs> but they were so cute they were so cute I loved it I love their reports as well and how it develops and how it ends yeah I love that and I love that you know Karen is, is this big heroine right 
she goes after what she believes in, even when people just don't want her to do things, and she goes and she does it them. And she does them because she she loves the people that she works it with, and she loves Priya as well. A lot of a lot of her motivations because she wants to protect Priya and he, she wants to save Priya's sister, and that's really cool. At the same time, though, I had a huge concern going in because Karen is is the heroine, she's a narrator, and she's uh, I think one of the few characters that are actually white. In the book, and everybody else is a, is a person of color. At least Priya and her sister, and the U.S. Marshal who helps them, and Mary Lee as well, the Chinese um, woman who goes around saving girls. And one of my main concerns was that will Karen just save the day and save be the white savior of all of these people? And even though she's heroic and she goes after things, she doesn't do that alone by herself. And and I and I felt that all of these people were on equal footing with Karen in their heroic pursuits. And they all had major roles and they all had major things to do in in, in saving saving the day. So that was really cool as well. Um, another thing that I loved was Bass Reeves, the U.S. Marshal, uh, who in the book, uh, he helps Karen, uh, or he, well, more like Karen helps him capturing this big badge in the book. And this guy, he is an African-American former slave, illiterate, and he is a U.S. Marshal. And of course, people would say, oh, but this is so unrealistic because, you know, he's a former slave. How can he be a U.S. Marshal? And regardless of the fact that the book's a fantasy novel, it's a steampunk novel, um, he's actually the only real character in the book. I was listening to um, Elizabeth Bear's, um, she, was, um, she was a guest at Rocket Talk podcast, with Justin London at com, and she was talking about how he was he is the real the only real character in the book he was indeed an African American former slave turned US marshal and he's, he was one of the best he was well respected and in fact he's actually the uh, inspiration for the Lone Ranger yeah and the Lone Ranger is in fact whitewashed so more than we thought before to go back to your point about Karen ending up like the white savior of the novel, I think what gets lost a lot when people write heroes is that they write them as like loners and they don't write them in ways where they have a support structure or a network of connections of other capable people. And in this case, the book is all about the fact that Karen loves this place that she lives she cares really deeply for her her boss and her co-workers and the the people that she's known for so many years they all become not just no you know not just supporting characters in her story but characters in their own right with their own you know their own plans and their own interests and because they have these their these interests and these backstories even if we don't know about them they end up with these capabilities that that they can lend to Karen to help her take down the bad guys. And I think that's really important and that's something that a lot of I think a lot of like writers can miss is that you can create a hero, but you can also create a hero by giving them really good support structures. Exactly. Like a Scooby Gang. 
Yeah, so it's like, it's like a team, like it's a team century. story. It's like it's a yeah. it's a really like a a, a te- it's like a definitely a team story. I don't want to oh, say yeah. I don't want to say superhero team story, even though it kind of is because Karen is the sewing machine and like takes down bad guys. No, it is no like seriously. I thought that was an amazing thing as well with the whole. Um, so Elizabeth Air was also saying that um, seamstresses are what they were called in Seattle at that point. And it was taken to the next level, to the level of... Um, it was taken to the level where it was literal in this story. So they actually had a single machine that they used. And it was like uh, a suit, a power suit, right? That she would walk around in it and fight evil in the end. So the, the, the visuals of this book are also really cool. I would give good money. For uh, like I'm um, like a little mini series. <laughs> no, if we, I, that that could be a really cool comic book. It could be yeah, no, or anything really, anything TV visual. Show. Oh my god! Like, imagine a TV show with this. Dear Hollywood, somebody call Elizabeth Bear immediately. Please, yes, let's replace Agents of Shield with <laughs> <Harry Potter laughs> <Harry> show. <laughs> I'm calling it now ahead of our segment about Agents of Shield. Oh Jesus! Oh, Jesus! <sighs> no. <laughs> But yeah, no, so what else happened? I mean, this book was really full of a lot of... There's so much to talk about in this book because it's just so rich. What about the violence in the book? Do you think it, do you think it was too violent? Because, you know, there's a lot of violence against women. A couple of people are murdered really horribly. And uh, and even though the, the workers at Madame Damable's bordello are treated very well, this is not true to every single bordello within this story in Seattle at that point. And this is where Mary Lee, this um, really cool fighter kind of spy lady, goes around rescuing girls from those places. And the main villain is like, it's, a, it's, it's one of the owners and he exploits all of these girls. So there's a lot of violence, gendered violence um, in the novel. How, what did you think about this? How did you feel about it? Do you have anything to say about it? We a lot of people go on a lot about realism in fiction, and they in a lot of cases people make gendered violence worse than it really is for the sake of like quote unquote realism, as we see a lot in like fantasy novels that have no women, and the only time they show up is to fuck the hero or die. So I I didn't really have a problem so much with the violence, uh, so much as I thought it was as Definitely handled as is possible in a book where you're talking about men paying women for sex in the situations where, in a lot of cases, men don't feel men don't feel like they should have to pay for that sort of thing, and they can just take what they want because they don't see women as real human beings. It could have been a lot worse t- for me, and I think th- there were several points in the book where the narrative noted that the women being killed were white women, which I thought was interesting, and I was curious. Oh, yes. Because it happened at least twice. I was like, well, maybe that's on purpose. Maybe that's like, it's like, like, obviously we know lots of women died and were killed in this trade and um, throughout the years just because that's how the world works. But I thought it was really interesting the book didn't go that route. They didn't go the route of gendered violence against non-white women. That's true. And the, but the villain made a point of saying that at one point. He only wanted to kill white women. 
Yes. Another another interesting thing was that Karen wasn't the only LGBT character in the book either. The other guy, which is also a black American character, uh, Crispin, who worked at the Bordello, he was gay. Um, there was a trans character uh, yes miss francina she was so amazing like if i had another character who was like i mean karen karen's like pretty much my favorite character in the book but miss francina was fantastic uh i loved her she was great all her interactions with karen were really good uh and you know saving priya's sister as well that was pretty heroic acts there from all of all of the Everybody had a role to play, and it wasn't just, you know, it just, I mean, the book is called Karen Memory, but it's not just her story at all, which I think makes the book so great. I think that really, if it had been a book just about Karen, it it would have, I mean, it it probably would have been as good, but the fact that she has such a tight circle of really talented, capable, smart people around her makes um, it really takes the book to a new, like a new, another level. Oh, absolutely. And, and I think smart is a really good word here, uh, especially with regards to Priya, who like who spoke several languages. Uh, her sister was amazing, clever as well. Uh, Miss Francina. And, and who was the one that, um, you know, created all of the machinery. Miss Lizzie. Miss Lizzie, yes, yeah. exactly. So, you know, all of them had something to offer. And that was, yeah, I love that about the book as well. I'm pretty sure we both recommend this book really, really hard. Uh, we want everybody really to go read hard, it. Right, yes, yes. I, I actually really loved uh, Mary Lee. I, I wish you could have seen a lot more of that Chinese lady kicking ass. And I love how she got um, got on really well with um, Tomoa Tua. Is that how you say? His I name? have no clue how to pronounce his name, and I'm not going to no. embarrass myself trying. But he was great too. But no, there was a moment in the book where Karen was like, she talks about the stereotypes of like stoic stoic Indians, and like they've never seen they've never seen a, a, a like a Chinese woman and an Indian grinning over each other, like grinning at each other. Like uh, what was the 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 little the writing was just great grinning at each other like rattlesnakes over a nest of eggs or something it was yes. perfect because <laughs> you yes. could just it made the visuals so great because you could just picture it and it was like it was it was it was great it was amazing yeah so we, we basically both of us really loved the book and highly recommend it right yes go read it Karen Memory is available now from your book retailer of choice. You can learn more about Elizabeth Bear by visiting elizabethbear.com. Although Karen Memory is still pretty new, if you've read it, let us know what you think. If you have any other awesome steampunk recs for us, feel free to let us know via Tumblr or email. Jupiter Ascending is the latest offering from Lena and Andy Wachowski, starring Mina Kunis as a space princess and Channing Tatum as a space wolf. This is a real thing. The film is about Jupiter Jones, a house cleaner of questionable immigration status in America, who learns that she has a destiny beyond the Earth as a genetic replica of a deceased space queen. Jupiter Ascending performed terribly at the box office and got negative reviews from most corners of the world. But in fandom, the experience of this film has been the exact opposite, full of joy and delight. Many have called the film a love letter to adventurous fangirls everywhere, with a sexy space wolf hero, Gravity rollerblades, space capitalism, genetic space marines, space Voldemort, and talking dinosaurs. So, Renee, 
How do you feel about dogs? I love dogs. I've always loved dogs. So how long did you want to say this? Forever. <laughs> I've been sitting over here like you didn't even make it. Like you were just like space wolf and I was just I'd lost it. I'm like, oh my god. I love this movie so much. Yes, I can tell. And I I see you saw the movie before I did. And you were one of the first ones who went completely over the top, full of joy about this uh, movie on Tumblr, on Twitter. And um, it was, I followed you. Of course, I follow you. I follow a lot of people on Tumblr who loved the movie. And I got so anxious to see it. And here, I, I live in a small town, and it wasn't going to be shown, this movie, for the first week. And I got in such a state of, oh my god, I'm going to London to see this, because I cannot wait for this to make it to Cambridge. Uh, but then, it made it to Cambridge, and I went by myself to the movies, which I haven't done in a while. And it was amazing. I loved it as well. And I'm, I'm, I'm so glad that I read all of those Tumblr posts and not the the reviews in major newspapers or other blogs and more. Uh, because those reviews, which I read afterwards, don't really relate to my experience of that movie the way that the reviews on Tumblr do. So I, I'm so glad I was prepared for the movie for what it is, which is this joyful, over-the-top, amazing space things. Everything that you can think of. And then add in space happened in this movie. That was my, that's my thing, right? Where I'm like, so I'll be on Twitter and I'll be like, wow, what if I wrote lesbians in space? Or what if I wrote... Team fic in space, boyfriends in space. Like you add in space to anything, and it gets immediately two hundred percent better. Oh, so this movie is like it's like the Wachowskis were like, "Hey Renee, we saw that you were feeling a little eh, about most media, and you could have, you, you could use a pick me up. Have this have this amazing present, and they just deliver this movie of my heart directly to me. It's so great." so great. I don't have another word. That's this whole this whole segment's going to be going, it was great. <laughs> <laughs> I know I get your point about the mainstream reviews because every time I would read a mainstream review, I was just like, wow, you have no joy in your heart. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, I just don't I just don't, I mean, I understand why people are like, it's bad, but you know what? I like a lot of bad things and I am okay with that. Uh, because no, I, like, I, if you're giving me, if you're giving me like some, some like werewolf tropes i'm gonna and like secret space princess tropes like like every little girl grew up like wanting to be a hero and be thrust into greatness and this is what that was and it was really good for me no i really enjoyed it as well um for those reasons but i i okay i'm this is probably going to come as a surprise to most people I actually thought it was a good movie. I don't think it was a bad movie. No, me neither. I don't think it's bad at all. I don't think it's bad at all. I think it was beautifully filmed. It had amazing casting. I am a Channing Tatum fangirl. I'm just going to put it out there. I am now completely convinced that he's going to be the best Gambit ever. Gambit is one of my favorite X-Men of all time. So I thought it was... It was great. And, you know, Sean Bean doesn't die. I know. That was the biggest surprise of the entire movie. <laughs> right? I was like, I was expecting him to 
to die at all. I was like, I was like, I, we, he's like, he's the only one that's ever gotten through a field of war hammers or whatever. And I'm like, what, what the fuck? Is that? What are you talking about? And then I saw him like, wow, Sean, Sean Bean is dead. <laughs> but he survived. He survived. On purpose, I think. I think they were trolling us. It was good. Definitely. I kept waiting, but he didn't. But I think that we can, we can be a little bit more serious if that's the right word, if you want to... Um, fine, fine. Uh, if, if you want to be more serious about the movie, we can as well, because I think there is something um, good at the center of it. I think it is a very empowering story for Jupiter Jones. Here's what I have. Uh, Here's what I have about this movie. The movie is about a female character and her connection with her family. It's about her coming of age story. It's about her finding her place and her voice. And this movie has been made eight thousand times in the last, even like in the last five years, produced. This movie gets made all the time for men and boys. But exactly. the people who are critiquing it just have no con- like critiquing it on a level of like. Oh, it's a bad film. Just have really no concept of looking beyond the surface to look underneath to see that it's a story about women. And they just have no clue how to engage with that. They have no idea what to do with it. So they have to just fall back on, you know, like, I'm sorry to say, really boring. Oh, bad writing, bad plot, plot holes. Yeah, you know, that's great. I just want, I don't want to point out to you, but in the, like, there was like a post that I read pointing out. P.S. Luke Skywalker was useless in the first Star Wars. Go rewatch that shit. <laughs> he was not, like, super competent. He was in the same situation. It's the same movie, except it has a woman in it and the center of the narrative. Exactly. So then, engaging with that idea, one of the main uh, criticisms that the book, that the book, that the movie has received was that it's not a feminist story, right? Especially with regards to the ending uh, and then I'm going to, um, one of the things that we did for this episode was that we asked people to send us questions if they had any questions uh, and that we would uh, and try to answer them uh, as much as we could on air uh, or whilst recording it. So we did have a question that about this, about agency, about the feminist or not ending of the, of the movie. So do you want to go into that, Renee? Yeah, so Rainbow Warriors sent us a question and part of the question was um it was like less a question more a comment and the comment was my issue with it is that jupiter is a good person but has a little agency throughout the film because of the discussion issues like these in recent years have made me sensitive to this jupiter's rescued throughout most of the film and also bothers me that at the end of the film she owns the earth and still has to clean toilets it kind of reminds me of issues pointed out to me of the 1939 wizard of oz film uh I'm gonna admit here I haven't seen Wizard of Oz, so we're just gonna have to, we're gonna have to bump over that part. But like, I really want to like engage with this this point about agency, which I've been seeing thrown around a lot. So the first hundred times I was fine with people going agency, 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 because to each their own. But I really think using Jupiter has no agency. It's becoming a way to devalue the film and her character, and it's just another entry in the thick tome of. Like, films with women as main characters have to be twice as good than films with men as main characters. So, to me, character agency is when the character has the ability to make decisions and affect the story at important moments, 
But no one has the ability to decide everything all the time, even men in, like, explodey action movies are sometimes reactive. So to me, Jupiter has this agency several times in the film, even if other times she does make the wrong choice, she needs help, or she needs to be rescued. I don't need for her to be 100% active, and I don't need for her to to rescue and fend for herself for her story to get a feminist-approved agency stamp. I want good chunks of the plot to be present because of her choices, and I get that from her multiple times as a character with no training, no concept of the world she's stepping inside to, and several times being thrust into political machinations of people older than her by a few millennium with very little information and having to, like, go it alone. So... We, we went through the strong female character phase where we used this to measure women against each other to rate how quote-unquote strong they were. And now we've moved on to agency as this new measure of what makes a female character good and a story feminist. I do think it's important to critique portrayals of female characters, but I get really concerned when we're given a female character thrown into a completely unknown world that we're discovering along with her. And instead of joining her on that trip and rooting for her, we start counting how many shaves, shaves she needs and whether or not she's ta- taking the right kind of actions that influence the plot in the correct ways to score some anti-sexism points. Because then we get into a situation where needing any sort of support rescue means that she's a waste of our time and her story is not worth examining or enjoying on its own merits, which then goes immediately back to the utter misunderstanding of what a strong female character is. Uh, stoic, utterly self-sufficient, with no need for anyone to boost her up and no need for emotional connections or a support network. If Jupiter were a boy, would we be having this conversation? Um, That's a more interesting, if depressing, question. And that's my rant on the agency agency question about this movie, because I'm just... I I have absolutely... (laughs) Nothing at all to add to that. I actually want to stay here and it's like applause. You don't understand. Like I've had so many feelings about this whole agency thing for so long. And I've seen it, most surprisingly, I've seen it come from women. And I don't, and I mean, I understand because this whole idea of agency in a narrative is really a difficult concept to grasp. And it's really, it really depends on the plot the setup of the universe, the world building. So it changes every time. It can't be the same forever. It's like not, there's not a formula, right? It's going to change every single different story you have. So the fact that this is getting tried out often, often by women, in fact, like they're like on Tumblr, there's all these posts by women going, ugh, no. But I'm just kind of like, look underneath, like look underneath that. Look at, look what the Wachowskis gave us. They gave us a woman who is is young and feels trapped and but still has a family and cares about things and wants to make a difference. And look at that too. Don't just look at the surface. No, it, but okay, but right. But if you want to look at the surface, even if even if you go so so this is a movie that it's over the top, okay? So everything's in space and have space rollerblades and you have um, you know, dinosaurs and you have and it's kind of like really over the top. But at the same time, the most realistic thing about the movie is Jupiter Jones, is the way that she reacts to things, because they make sense within the parameters of that story. They make sense because of who she is, where she's coming from, and how she reacts to things. And yeah, she's a little bit quiet, she's a little bit calm, but it's like, this is, I I got from from her uh, reaction to things that she was just absorbing everything. She didn't know, like you said, she didn't know 
anything. These are people that have lived for thousands of years, and they have all of this um, knowledge, they have all of these machinations going behind, and she doesn't know any of that, and she's just reacting to what she's given, and she reacts sometimes, you know, Badly, sometimes she just makes the right decision. And I think that made perfect sense for what it was. And I think to expect more, what could more could expect? Would you would you be okay then if Jupiter were uh, knowledgeable about everything and made all the right decisions and then took over the world? Wouldn't you find that problematic as well? I probably I pro I think people would react with the same kind of over-the-top reaction to if she had behaved differently as well. Because we are constantly judging women regardless of what they do or how they behave. And I, I, don't, think, I don't think the ending is unfeminist. I, I think that's a little bit ridiculous even. I, I don't have a problem well, with the ending what? at all either. No, no. <laughs> she owns the earth and she's still with the family. She got the boy. She's learning to go flying on her space rollerblades. It's like, can I have one of those, please? So my problem with the whole... No, like I didn't answer the question, I realized. But my whole problem with this idea that she owns the Earth, but she's still cleaning toilets. I don't like the idea that we're valuing cleaning toilets. Because that's devaluing women's work. Women have done the cleaning work like that for millennium. So yeah. I don't like the idea that we're we don't need to devalue that work. That's important no. work. Keeping a household is work. It's hard. And not only is she still keeping these houses and doing a job, she's helping her family. That's their way they make money because they in theory they're still illegal immigrants. Yes. She's still supporting her family. That's important. I completely agree with that. I also think that part of it comes from a very extremely privileged classes perspective to go with your point. It's, you know, who is doing all of this uh, criticism from that perspective? There's no, there's nothing wrong. To, and I don't mean to pick on Rainbow Warrior for having a problem with it. Because I think if you don't think about it that way, if you've never um, experienced the question from that perspective, it's hard to see that work like that, it, it's culturally devalued no, on this purpose. Is, this is- this is a criticism that I've seen all over the place. It's not only from from this particular uh, listener. Uh, it's a criticism that I've seen everywhere. It's I think it's probably the main criticism against the, the movie so far, and it's one that I under, don't understand at all, and I completely disagree with. Yeah, I don't. I mean, I get that there's probably valid criticisms. There are a lot of plot holes. Like they, the movie does several times. Like it raises the whole plot, like the plot point with the. Um, uh, Sean B's daughter yeah, uh, disappears. Where has who, she gone? Right? She's sick, <laughs> and and I, and like when I was when I came out of the movie the second time when I went to because I did when I went saw it the second time. Shut up, guys. Uh, when I came out the second time, me and my friend were talking about it, and he was like, "I felt like they were trying to make a larger point with that somehow, but they just dropped it for some reason." And they had this like this overarching plot about harvesting planets and how they would develop planets. To, to be able to not handle the population anymore, and then they would harvest them. And in the current world right now, we're facing this issue where the bees are dying and our bees pollinate our plants. Like, bees are hugely important to the ecosystem of our world, and bees are dying of this disease. And in the movie, the bees are sick because 
of the the population growth, human expansion. And I felt like the movie wanted to make a larger point, but it just dropped it. And that's a valid, like, things like that are valid criticisms. The fact that Titus tries to marry his reincarnated mother, and then she just leaves, and we never hear from him again. Also an issue. (laughs) The sister, who apparently puts her in a dress and sends her along her on her way, dropped. I mean, there are... Like issues with storytelling, but I don't think that has anything to do with like feminism and sexism. You know what I mean? I think they're yeah. just writing issues in a movie that should have probably been a little bit longer to be able to fold those in. But as we know, it got bumped from last summer to this February. It was very obvious the studio had lost faith in the film itself. It's okay, fine. Um, I understand that. <laughs> Well, I'm glad we got to see it. Yeah, but I mean... It's it really, really reminded me of The Fifth Element. Oh, yes, it's great. I think um, in a lot of ways... It doesn't feel like... It's not a successor, obviously, because they're different. The, the yes. Besson and the Wachowskis are completely different types of filmmakers, but it really felt like... It's got that really neat like aesthetic where it's you can tell that the person making it is having fun. Fun. Absolutely. They were having, a, you could tell they were having a great time. And it just came through in every part of that movie. The music, the huge, like the huge spaceships that would like rocket through the exactly. ring dust and pl- like the music swelling as planets fill the sky and talking dinosaurs. No, I mean, no, Space Voldemort was the best. <laughs> Where Eddie Redmayne would just like, would whisper in this like... <laughs> This, this croaky, this this croaky voice, and only um, like only make loud noises when he was screaming. It was hilarious. Oh. It was so good. It was so hilarious. And and the thing is also because I I think that this movie came at a good point in time with as a uh, as a breath of fresh air because I had just watched American Sniper. Oh God, kill me now. Um, uh, Boyhood um, and Birdman which are all pressing white people's movies that just please so boring. <laughs> and uh, intellectually speaking, I can see how Birdman is a good movie, but it's still about this very privileged white male. And I'm not going to go into American Sniper because... We already know. We already know. That's just so wrong in so many levels. So I kind of like felt that Jupiter Ascending was what I needed in my life at that point. And I think that's what a lot of people needed. And that is a good thing. It was very very science fiction romance. And I felt like the marketing kind of fell down on this. I felt like they could have gotten... They could have gotten more people to go see this because it's just like not clear that it's science fiction romance. No, it's true. just really. I mean, they sort of make like if you watch the trailers, maybe a little, but it's it's a, it's a hardcore. There are some series like uh, DS uh, undertones in this film where he's like, "Your Majesty," and she's she's like, "I like it when you say that." <laughs> like it's pretty. It's really. It's not like it's not explicit, but it's pretty implicit in some of their interactions. And I just, oh god, I just feel like they really lost, like they just not marketed it to the correct people because there are tons of people that I know who would have flocked to this movie with all their friends immediately, and so it would have had a better opening if they That's had just true. chosen better, better marketing. It's so I think this is probably going to be one of those movies that has uh, flopped in the box office, and then it's going to 
build a following uh, when it comes out on DVD. No, or uh, yeah, exactly. And it's going to grow to the point where it might even warrant a sequel. We all know that the Wachowski siblings are not very good with sequels at all, so maybe <laughs> we should not ask for that. No mon- no studio's going to give them this kind of money ever again. They're done. It's really no, sad. They, they, they could kickstart. But they could maybe, I don't know. Wait, <laughs> ten, wait 10 years and we'll try. We'll, they could try it. Uh, I, the movie's I not know. doing that bad overseas, though. The movie's just, it flopped here because Americans are just, they just like depressing stuff, I guess. They like, they want to watch American Sniper. <laughs> Oh, so I, but like it's doing not that bad. It's kind of like a Pacific, it's kind of like how Pacific Rim didn't do that great here, but overseas it did really well. So I don't know how it's gonna like. Who knows how it's gonna shake out? Hollywood's a mess. People have better. (laughs) Yeah, they like they they like science fiction romance. (laughs) Speaking of the 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 romance and going kind of back to the the whole rescue situation. Possibly my favorite, like possibly that that's my favorite line, and it's obvious because I quoted it. This was really interesting to me because in the film, the woman is the one who pushes the romance forward, and I really kind of wish that would happen more because it was really good for me. I love dogs. I always love dogs. I, thought, I mean, who wouldn't, right? <laughs> so I just thought it was such it was such such a well done. It was just such a well done little romance that I was like, ah, this is the kind of stuff I want. Like, these are the kind of ventures and romances that I want to write myself. This was great. I agree. I completely agree with that. I want, like, tons of fanfic for this. I need to go and dig in, because a lot of people have been writing it, and I need to go and, I need to go and read it all. I need to take a weekend and dive in. Speaking of, like, reading things based on Based on Jupiter sending, uh, Heather Massey at the Galaxy Express actually wrote like a reckless, like if you liked Jupiter ascending, uh, read these books. It's a huge list of science fiction romances um, based on some of the tropes that the movie used. I thought was really, I thought that was really nice. I'm like, oh, you go, you get it. That's great. So I'll, I'll link to that because I thought. Did, did she recommend Ragnar and Juliet? Yes. Yeah, I've read that. It's fun. <laughs> so there's like a huge list of so- like similar stories. So I thought that was really cool. I would yeah. I would really like uh, science fiction romance to get bigger. More kissing in space. Yes, please. Oh, so maybe then we should totally get into it for our next or one of our next episodes. We should. We should go and read some yes. and see. We should. Yes, excellent. It's a deal. <laughs> it's a deal. Done. Done, baby. Jupiter Sending is currently in theaters near you. Maybe. <laughs> if you hurry, you might still be able to catch it before theaters ejected violently. If it's not, rest assured, we will no doubt be out soon on DVD in the $10 bin at your local store. If you love the movie and have fanfic wrecks or want to talk to us about post-film theories about Jupiter's continuing adventures in space with her space wolf boyfriend, please, please deliver them to, our, to us ASAP via Tumblr or email. Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. is a TV show that airs on ABC and is part of and shares continuity with the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Co-created by pop culture hero Joss Whedon, the series follows a group of super spies in a world of superheroes. Join us as we prepare ourselves for the mid-season premiere of Season 2 and as we ponder if there is ever a TV show with more splendid potential than this one. Are you ready for this, Renee? God, no. Who is? Well, there's some people out there who like the show. I see why they like it. I can see them. I see the merits. 
I see it. They're there. Uh, I just... I, I have enjoyed certain episodes or certain moments of certain episodes. I will admit to that. It, did, it, it, took, it took forever for that to happen. I didn't enjoy the show at all until way late into season one. I feel and like I the episode, like the number of episodes that were in season one were just too, it was too much. They should have done a limited run. That's true. Or something. Like, like they are doing with Agent Carter. Meanwhile, Agent Carter gets eight episodes and we get like 23 and episodes of Agents episode, of S.H.I.E.L.D., which is yeah. where they and fuck it, it up. This show was renewed for a second season from the moment the first episode aired. Uh, I just, I, I, yes. Okay, it's it's obviously capitalizing in the whole superhero, the cinematic universe of, of, of Marvel, right? So it's it's coming out of that and relates to that in many ways as well. And I guess the first half of season one also had its problems because the, the writers were probably with their hands tied because they had to wait until Captain America 2 came out so that the whole Hydra thing happened and that affected... Uh, shield most of all uh, and obviously that would have a huge effect on the TV show so I guess that's partly why the first half of, of the season was so terrible but at the same time though it's not a good excuse because they could have developed their characters made interesting storylines and they just didn't my problem with the show is that it focuses on it, like it puts its focus on everything I don't care about and like leaves behind everything I do. And I'm also really over this trope of character death as no, not character death as anything. Character death, period. I'm over it. I don't think it's very clever. I'm, I'm biased here because I, we're gonna spoil it. We're gonna spoil this. Just P.S. people. So if you haven't seen it, yes. turn the podcast off now. Uh, or skip ahead. I got I got the spoiler that they killed Trip. Um, before I even started the second season, and yeah. I was like, "What? What? What? What?" Yeah. And then you you told me when I when I went to you about it, you were like, "Well, there were two black men on the show. You knew that couldn't happen, right?" How, what does it say about a show, or about how much trust you have in a show when a black character shows up? And that's Trip. She shows up at the end of season one, and he was amazing. Right? He was entertaining. He was clever. He was smart. He was handsome. Um, <laughs> Sorry, I had to put it out there. Uh, and, and he was a great character. And then at the beginning of season two, another African-American character was introduced. And I was like, oh, that's it. One of them is going to die. And that's terrible. And I hate to feel that way. But it's 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 how much trust I don't have on this show. And another thing that they, they love to, like I said, they love to kill characters. But they love to kill the most interesting ones as well. So, for example, at the beginning of season one, when Mac, which is the second uh, black character, came into the show, uh, he came along with Lucy Lawless, right? Mm -hmm. And she gets killed, like, within two seconds of this freaking show. Meanwhile, they leave this fucking what's-his-face, I cannot even remember his name, uh, Lance, behind alive doing what nothing because he's the least interesting character in anything yeah i don't really i don't i don't really care for his character i'll be honest uh the characters i care about they just 
Like, they dropped Trip completely. Like, they didn't give, like, he just showed up randomly. They just didn't give him anything to do. They didn't go, they didn't dive into his backstory. They, they just, like, they just wasted all his potential. They they put Simmons into, um, an undercover, an undercover position at Hydra, and then they wasted that. I really like Skye. So I'm glad that she's like they're still focused on her, but I'm really upset because I just I really liked Coulson in the movies. I really liked him, and I like him in fandom. I like how fandom writes him because I read a lot of Clint Coulson fic. But like in the show, he's just he's just boring, and it's really disappointing how boring he is, and how much I just really do not care about his struggles or about his. Like, dogged determination to rebuild S.H.I.E.L.D. I don't think S.H.I.E.L.D. needs to be rebuilt. I'm on Team Steve, burned to the ground Rogers, that says we need to root it all out, destroy it, and create something. And if we're going to create another, another institution, just create a whole different one with new values. Don't fall back on the old and try to rebuild what you think the original was founded on. Well, so it's, these characters that they focus on, I just don't care about. I just don't care. And they just they just leave the characters I do by the wayside. I, I agree with that. I, I actually, I'm actually really torn about the, the need for S.H.I.E.L.D., say. Because I think there is, within that universe, I think there is a need for a human-led agency uh, to control all of these super-powered people, right? Because we just... I, I wouldn't trust the, the world to superheroes. I think the world would go to shit if we trusted the well, world. Well, it's about to, to because Ultron comes out in May. Get ready so for it. So there you go. <laughs> so I think I think I think that it's interesting that to have a human-led um, agency uh, to oversee and and possibly control uh, all of these shenanigans around superpowered people. Uh, at the same time, though, I actually agree that. It's, it's problematic the way that you go about it. And of, of course, then Coulson has this really boy crush on David Fury, I guess, and the way that he ran things. And I think he tries to emulate him quite a lot instead of going around his own journey. But like I said, he's not an interesting character. And it's not that he's not an interesting character. I think it's just Clark Gregg's not that good of an actor. <laughs> I think to, I'm sorry. I don't think he is. I think he is. Hate mail pours down up on I'm us sorry. from yeah. all corners. Oh my god. Yeah. So, and, Or maybe it's me. not that it's not he's a good actor. It's that he's being given this role that there's no room for him to move. It's such a limited amount of space. To no, he's like, a bad character. He's a bad actor. Like I just, I, I feel like because I've seen him, like I've seen him in other things, and he's fine. Like I mean, he's not. I mean, I don't think he's gonna win win Oscars. But I don't. I mean, I don't think he's like a block, a, a lo- block, a log, sitting like oh. with no personality. Uh, but like, uh, I just feel like in this show, the material just locks him into this really boring character that doesn't have a range of motion for Clark Gregg to do anything with. And so it's exacerbating the fact that he might not have a lot of, like, that he doesn't have a lot of range, period. Yes, no, I I, I think that a good actor could actually run Coulson and do better things with it. Oh, we're never gonna find uh, out, man, are we? No, no. <laughs> we won't. Locked in forever. I think him in small doses, like in the movies, is fine. It's perfectly fine. It's just that giving him a whole show was like, 
I don't, I don't, I don't think so. Um, so I have notes about this show, right? And it's they are they are highly professional and in depth analysis of this show, and they say I hate Ward. So I think I think we should talk about Ward because it worries me. Grant Ward is awful. He's awful. He's another bad actor. Sorry, is uh, I think he's boring. The white men on the show are—it's true. Like the only uh, like the, so far, I think I like the guy who plays Fitz, and then the guy who plays the Koenig. Oh my god! Those are the uh, only two that I really that I really feel dig into the, what they're doing with their roles, and every yeah. like all the rest of them, I'm just like, uh-huh, okay, no, okay, no. The all thing right. with uh, the thing with Ward is that again, it's there is so much of him. There is so much of thing, and I and I thought we we got rid of him last season. And oh I was no! Sadly disappointed, and I fear that given that this is a Joss Whedon um, Joss Whedon um, show, that he might have the Spike arc. I fear he might have a redemption arc. Well, so but far they he, haven't done it. They haven't gone there yet. No, they haven't. Well, you know, it's early, early days. <laughs> they might go. To, you know, Spike for the first three seasons of Buffy tried to kill Buffy and the Scooby Gang and destroy the world several times. But the the thing is that Spike was a personable character from the get go. He was an interesting character. He was a funny character. And Ward is nothing. He brings nothing to the screen. He brings nothing to the show. He brings nothing to the dynamics. I have a lot of things about Ward. None of them are positive. I'm really sorry. I don't even find him attractive. <laughs> the crushing blow to this actor. Anna does not find you attractive. <laughs> I'm sorry. Okay. Uh, Gauntlet no has more. been thrown. <laughs> No, it's just like I don't think he has good chemistry with Sky, so I had no feelings about their. No, I was always creeped out by that. I was always creeped out by that. I'm like, you're right. Like, I'm like, number one, you were you're, you were sleeping. He was sleeping with May, and like then, like he's her. He's her. He's her. He's her he was her S.O. He was her commanding officer. That's creepy. Stop. There was a potential there in that character. Uh, in the way that, you know, he's a S.H.I.E.L.D. agent, and, and he could have illustrated the problems with the S.H.I.E.L.D., but because he was a HYDRA agent, that kind of empties all of that potential, I think, because, you know, HYDRA is evil, and there is no arguing that it was evil, or it is evil, and so it just empties this character of any relevance to my life, I'm sorry to say. And the fact and, that we just kept going back to him over and over for intel or whatever, where he became this little, like, MacGuffin in Coulson's basement that would yes. deliver plot, like, deliver plot to us. And I, I know, was just, right? and I was so happy. I was like, oh, good. They're going to take him off. He's going with his brother. He's going to go with his brother. And it's going to be done. And we want to hear from him. Only to find out uh, he escapes and kills his entire family. Like, yes, the sociopath right. he is. And I was like, great. So he's going to be around a while. Oh, he will. Right. He will. He has Spike Arc. I'm calling it. Right. Uh, no, I don't want it because, like, what are they going to do with the character? Like, they're going to have. I see. I have never seen Buffy, so I don't know what that. I don't, I don't fully understand. What? <laughs> Moment. She quits. <laughs> She resigns immediately. Okay, I was, I've se- I was momentarily <laughs> stupefied right there. I've seen Buffy up until like halfway through season five. Oh my 
god! Um, but I haven't. I haven't been through the spike. I haven't been through the spike arc. I mean, I I know I know I know based I know the general gist of what happens about his little implant and then him and him and Buffy getting closer. I sort of like I I mean I get the general gist of it because uh, but that show was doing such weird thing. It was like it's just a weird show to watch now with because it it was such an interesting cultural moment. It's, It's weird to watch it in retrospect. So, so, because I don't really know what happens, if they do that on the show, how are they, like, I just don't understand how they're going to justify the people forgiving them after the character just stood up and said, you'll never, like, you'll never be on my team, I'm never going to trust you again. Like, I just don't, I mean, I get how you can do it with, like, uh, like sort of with the vampire, maybe, since I don't know how it goes, but I just don't see how they're going to get that to work. Well, I think things were probably going to go to shit at some point and they will probably have to become reluctant allies and then he'll prove his worth all of those uh, points I'm saying have capital letters okay so imagine that I'm saying so he's going to prove his worth and then he's going to show that he is redeemable and then it will be so meanwhile you know all the interesting characters get killed Interesting plot points are not developed. <laughs> and then you have Bobby, who is amazing, and I basically whooped when she came in. And most of her storylines have to do with her pining for her stupid former husband, who is a nobody. Yeah, she and uh, there's a scene. Uh, she and Gemma are in um, a lab, and they're having a conversation about. I ship it. I'm just saying. <laughs> like, I'm not the only one. And I was just like, I just feel, I don't know, I feel like they, she's another character that they tend to waste a lot in the character building moments. Um, she's really, they, they, they make good use of her in, like, their action sequences, but in, like, their character building moments, it just feels like they, it just goes back over and over again to this relation, like, the, these, these romantic relationships. Yes, and it's like, there's nothing wrong, there's nothing wrong about romantic relationships, like, what we are saying, we're just talking about it with Jupiter Ascending, right? Mm-hmm. It's just, it's just the way that they, they make it all about it for her character and there's nothing else for her to, to be doing and I mean, it's just such a waste there's some other stuff going on but they haven't gotten there yet that's for the second no. half of the season well, maybe. and we won't know what that involves until later so but it's just like these little hints and then they're tossing us into this relationship again. just like yeah okay well, fine <laughs> I I, th- I think I feel like this show should have a subtitle like um, Marvel's Agents of Shield making terrible decisions since 2014. <laughs> that should be the official logo. And so now we have this weird like the alien plotline where me like KJ uh, had, my friend KJ sent me a message and she's like uh, she's like we were talking about episode 13 of the first season. Where oh. Coulson makes the discovery at the guest house. She was like, did you see? Did you see? Go watch. Did you see? And so we went, I went, and I, I watched it. And then I went back to her, and I'm like, oh, my God. Because if you've seen the Guardians of the Galaxy um, at that point, like, was that out yet? It was, right? August. Yeah. Episode 13. I watched all the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Episode, first season episodes after they, like, much, much later. So I don't know whether episode 13 of the first season came out first or Guardians of the Galaxy did. But oh, I don't remember. Obviously, there's Kree. It's the the Kree we're, that were in Guardians of the Galaxy, and Kenji's like they've they, now they've hooked it. They've hooked the series, the actual series, into not the superhero stories on Earth, 
but this like but the 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 later ones, the ones like Guardians of the Galaxy, the Inhumans and, movie and, that will and, be and coming Captain out. And Captain Marvel as well, because Captain mm-hmm. Marvel has is, is has her powers from yeah. free, right? Yeah. yeah. So they've hooked it into that those storylines, which and I've heard and I've read some articles that say that the Guardians of the Galaxy next one isn't like going to cross over with any of the other stuff. That's a little bit exciting, right? That, that, that like I said, there are some certain things about the show that are exciting, like this connection with a uh, wider connection with the with the universe, with with the aliens and the powers, and I I kind of like really liked what happened to Sky at the end of the last episode of the first part of season two. Even with all of those criticisms, I'm actually going to continue watching the series. No, I will also sit there and watch it because I was I was hooked in as soon as, like, that's what got me, actually, to continue with the first season was that moment with the Kree where, where we find out that that's how Coulson survives and that's how Sky's going to survive. It's that they're, use, they're pulling... They're pulling whatever out to, to, revive, to revive humans, keep them alive. And so as soon as that connection was made, I'm like, okay, you got me. I'm in. So, because I just really... Here's the thing. A lot of people don't seem to like Sky a lot, but I love Sky. I love that one of the main characters of the show is this woman who is being, you know, just like she's presenting on that ad, being thrust into this huge world that she doesn't understand and she's going to have to make sense of. I love that we see her growing as a person and getting more confident. I want, th- this, like, these are the adventure stories I want featuring women. These are the kind of things that I want. And I'm, and this is why I put up with the show because I really like Scott's character and I really like the fact that we're getting, we're getting this character from the studio. I, I completely agree. I that's she's my favorite character as well, along with May. I don't know how we managed to spend all of this time talking about Agents of Shiv and, and we haven't <laughs> mentioned uh, Ming that one. It's like no, she's what, fantastic. What are we doing? She's like that, and I love her interactions with Sky as well because you know May is kind of like that cold, but you know stoic kind of character, and Sky is the more the emotional one. And they when they face each other, it's really interesting, and in the way that they work with each other as well. So it's. I, I I like their interactions, and I like that team has the two of them. Kind of like I was talking to somebody once about the um, the end of the first season, and I was like, would it have been much cooler if Fury had just made Melinda the new, the new director and been like, okay, here you go? Why didn't he, right? <laughs> Wouldn't that have been a much more interesting story of her with her in charge? Oh, my God. And him and, <laughs> and Agent Coulson is like the lead agent or something, whatever. That would have been great. But then, you know, but then there wouldn't have been a story, really, because things would just get done properly <laughs> in no time whatsoever. So there would have been no no tension, no drama. She would just finish it all. Shit, the shit would get done. Basically. The, the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., the end. It's yes. Fixed. <laughs> the mayors, the end. Yes, exactly. She had a great fight scene. Yeah. And I rewatched that fight scene so many times. It was such a great. She did it in like the slip. It was great. Did, did you know that she's 50 years old? Yes, I did. It was. That makes me so depressed. Uh, why does it make me so depressed? She's, she's great. <laughs> I love that she is like, she still gets this. She's gotten this amazing role at that age. I really. Oh. Of all, like, the people, like, of all the actors in the show, I feel like she really takes. Because, I mean, I, I've watched her and, like, interviews and stuff. She's, like, super bubbly and cheery. And so I just feel like she really makes this role her own in this really great way. 
I just want uh, can we just have Mans can we just have like a series of six episodes about Man Sky all in a row? That'd be great for me. Yes. That would be cool, right? That would yeah, be it would be good. That would be great. And then we can have them with intersected Agent Carter's flashbacks. <laughs> and that would be a perfect hour in our lives. It would be. I love every like I loved all the little good cameos that yeah. uh Haley Atwell made. I was like, Oh, you're so great. I wanted like I want like four or five seasons of your show. I'm really behind on Agent Carter though. I'm I'm several episodes behind because I had other stuff to be doing. So I haven't. I'm like three episodes behind at this point. I've really got to catch up before I get horribly spoiled. I am. I'm on one episode behind. And today I wore my Agent Carter outfit to work. You wore your. You have an Agent Carter outfit. I do have a forties kind of. That's amazing. Um, skirt and top, and I was like, you know what? I feel like wearing an Agent Carter outfit to work today to celebrate the world. That's really there. good. That's really cute. <laughs> Professional cosplay. Yes. <laughs> I just can't do the hair, unfortunately. Do you have any feelings about Fitzsimmons? I don't really like the idea of Fitzsimmons as a couple. But here's no. here's the thing that I wish the writers would understand. Because I think they've done a really good job with Fitzsimmons. And the fact that they didn't kill Fitz, they kept him around and they changed they changed his character just a little bit with Apoxia. Is that what that's called? Not, like, I really don't, I mean, I mean I'm not super invested in their relationship. I'm Like, I really like their friendship, but I'm not really super invested in it because I'd rather, you know, I'd rather have some storylines about Trip and Mac and Sky. But I really think they really should look at that, the way they did that. Because I think they did a really good job about not about not using a character trope to further Gemma's character, but keeping Fitz around and changing him enough that dynamic becomes more more deep and changes. Yes, yeah, and so I, this is why I get really annoyed when they just kill characters off. I'm like, like don't kill them off. Keep them around and do something interesting with 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 something uh, a dramatic change in the narrative. Well, except that didn't work with Ward, did it? They could have killed him. Well, yeah, they, were gonna, they were never going to. They were never going to. Okay, we're going back to the Fitzsimmons. I think that it gives. I, I think it gave the show at least second season a really good emotional uh, punch. I think, and I really liked seeing what they did with those characters. Um, although I I agree with you that I have never seen them as a romantic couple, and I like that friendship. I see them kind of like as. Um, Xander and Willow in the first seasons of Buffy. Sorry, I will always compare. <laughs> I will always compare the show with Buffy because it's the same creators, right? I gotta finish Buffy, I guess. In the first seasons of Buffy, there was the unrequited love between Xander and Willow. They were friends forever, and then but Xander loved Willow, and then that went away. That went away after a while because they realized that they were best that are friends, as best friends, and that they fell in love with other people. And one of them became a lesbian. That could happen with Faith Simmons. And then Simmons could go out with Bobby. That's my headcanon. That's, I mean, yes, I heard that when that, ha- that, when the, that stuff first happened. Um, but actually, the first, like, hint before I watched the second season that the, there was some uh, shenanigans going on with that relationship was when people start going, wow, who ships Fitz and Mac now? Oh yes, also, also that was such a that that was actually a really good relationship as well that developed between the two of them. No, it was that really was great. Really well done. Yeah, I lo- was really Mac fun. was just really great. Like Fitz would like look at him, and Mac would be like, "Don't look at me," and make him 
help himself. And I really, but not meanly, right? But he not just with be, patience. And with it was patience and care. It's a, it was just really great. I really I, Mag I, as a character is wonderful, and I was just really kind of upset that they didn't. They just did not give Mac. Like, that was the only thing they gave Mac to do. They just didn't give him anything else. And then, you know, I mean, obviously, I've made that complaint about Trip, too. I'm just like, guys, why are you wasting these super interesting characters? Why are you doing it? Now I'm back to my complaints again. We've just circled around. Maybe there's too many characters that they can deal with all of them. (sighs) They keep bringing extras as well. They keep bringing cameos from Fury and Maria Hill and um, Agent Carter and whatever. So maybe they just can't deal with all of those different strands or something. Maybe so. We'll see how it goes. Yeah. Yes, we will. (laughs) It's coming up soon. Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. resumes its second season on March 3, 2015 on ABC with episode 11, Aftershots. If you keep up with Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., what did you think of the first season and how the show handled the second season so far? Let us know via Tumblr or email. Recommendation time! Renee, you're up first. What do you have this week? Well, I have two recommendations today because I'm a rebel. That's cheating! I'm cheating. I'm doing it. You can't... <gasps> I'm the producer. You can't stop me. <laughs> How very dare you! <laughs> okay. The first is a podcast from The Nerdist, which is a great interview podcast Uh, They can be kind of hit or miss because I'm such a terrible pop culture critic that I don't know a lot of their guests. But recently they had Gillian Anderson on. I haven't seen The X-Files, but I remember the huge Zeitgeist. Oh, God. I remember the huge Zeitgeist around it. I just haven't seen it. Like, because I was friends with a lot of people who watched it, but it was during that time of my life where... Like, there wasn't, like, like DVR recording. You couldn't trade files. So I just never saw it. I didn't have access okay. to see it. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. do with you. I'm head-dashing. I'm going to head-dashing. <sighs> this is going to happen every time. I mean, like, when it started in reruns, I saw um, a Brady Bunch episode. Like, it was a Brady Bunch team episode. Like a, bunch of, like, a bunch of times. Because it was always, that was always a rerun on TV when I came across it. Uh, so that's the, that's the episode of X-Files I'm familiar with. The Brady Bunch episode. Anyway, so I, I went ahead and I listened to it because I really like her in interviews. And she was delightful. The whole interview is really great. And she she talks about that particular moment in time um, on the X-Files when they were filming it. That weird space before the internet really blew up. And how that made the show feel different than it feels now with shows with the social media She's charming and she's interesting. And even if you haven't seen X-Files like me, I think it's still really good to listen to. And there aren't really any spoilers at all. Uh, that's my first. <laughs> oh, listen to it. I love her. And yeah. uh, my second recommendation is uh, a piece of fanfic, which is bittersweet but really adorable. It's a Steve Bucky story called The Difference a Day Makes by Twin Agonies. It has a happy ending, but it's also a Groundhog Day AE fic where Bucky, who is still unwell but living with Steve in the Avengers Tower, repeats the same day over and over again. And he ends up taking all that time and using it to find his way back to being well all by himself. Uh, Reaching the end is like such a treat. It's so lovely and well done with a sweet happy ending. But definitely, definitely read the tags before you read it because there's some there that have triggers in them. 
Right, so I'm totally side-eyeing you right now because I only have one recommendation. <laughs> I'm sorry. Fine. Fine. When I play this game, I'll be ready for the next time. <laughs> okay. So my recommendation is a book. It's a new, it's a novel coming out next 26th, I think, 27th of, of February. And it's a YA novel. It's a retelling of Sleeping Beauty. It opens with Aurora waking up to a kiss from this totally random stranger. And then she finds herself in that situation in which she just woke up for a hundred, after a hundred years of sleep, after spending her entire life before that, living under the weight of a curse placed on her. And it's, it's just, it, it really interacts with who this person would be, who this cursed, entrapped girl who wakes up after being kissed by a totally random dude who's supposed to be her one true love. And it's just, it kind of reminds me of, of what we were saying about um, Jupiter Jones before, because it's, it's the whole story. It's her trying to find out who she is, what can she do with her life. And, and, I, and I think a lot of reviews so far have really taken that stance where she's not a strong character because she doesn't kick ass. Uh, whereas I find that she's an incredibly strong character because she has, she's just trying so hard to understand what's happening to her. And there are, and I think the beauty of, of all of this is that in the end, there are no easy answers. I loved that book. It's called A Wicked Thing by uh, Rhiannon Thomas, and it's coming out next week. I'll leave a link to my review um, with the podcast. Renee, thanks for talking with me this week. You're welcome. You can find links to some of the things we discussed today at fangirlhappyhour.com or our Tumblr at fangirlhappyhour.tumblr.com. You can email us at fangirlhappyhour at gmail.com, find our Twitter feed at fangirlpodcast, or drop us an ask on Tumblr. This is a new thing, by the way. Uh, and for both myself and Renee, thanks for listening. See you next episode.